Hey, welcome back to Partial Recall. For those of you who don't remember, we are a podcast. Uh, R being the key word there. Still in existence, present tense. One of your hosts, KJ Ellis, uh, alongside Mr. Jay Cranfield. What's going on, Jay? Finally, Partial Recall has come back to Dallas. <laughs> After all this time off. Our, our podcast itself had become the nostalgia, but now we're, <laughs> we're back up and running. That is that's quite true. I will uh, say that I owe both you and one Gustave Monteblanc, amongst others, an apology. We did record an episode, I think, but between the last one that's posted and now, uh, the board games episode is still something that I think can be salvaged. Um, but I will say the amount of work that goes into editing is you know reasonable. However, the amount of work that goes into editing an episode where there are three parties and it's like whack a mole of which of the three parties is present um, in the audio in one space and then present in another space. And I have to like combine all that. And uh, if the question is how long does it take to do that? The answer is at least that long. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know. Maybe just put out the raw audio and just let everyone else figure it out. Just, just let them piece it together. This is like the latest yeah. of a uh, podcast. I love it. Still good content. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've had some distractions uh, pop up between now and then. What with uh, you know the ongoing pandemic and all. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I a lot of uh, a lot of people going out of the world, and you brought one in. So there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Before we jump into any uh, baby or dad talk, uh, you want to take this opportunity to maybe uh, rescind any tweets from the last 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think so. What, what are you, uh, what are you possibly referring know, you know, to? Just something that may have occurred where some would just describe over there. Uh, any, uh, comedic <sighs> run you may have gained out of a situation before it, uh, mushroomed into oh. a bigger situation. Uh, a certain explosion. Yeah. Of um, sorts. Of sorts. Uh, we'll, we'll go back and we'll review, we'll review the tape and see what we still feel about all that. Uh, I haven't read all of the, the data from today, although the one thing I did read about that, it had the, when it, uh, the word killed, it had scores of people mm, in front of mm, it. So mm. yeah, we, things might get scrubbed a little bit, but you, you more I, focused I on the scores part metaphorically, not be, not be insensitive. That's never my intent. I just wanted to get across my excitement about the XFL, and that was an opportunity to do so. Gotcha. You apologize if anyone interpreted it that way, and if they were offended, for sure. Yeah, I apologize for them being offended. Not for my tweet, just <laughs> for their, their them having feelings. Uh, I'm sorry that they have those. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, it has been a big, big week for uh, things important to – uh, one partial recall. I will yield the floor if you have not already exclaimed your excitement elsewhere. Uh, what emotions you went through once you discovered that uh, one Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, purchased the XFL? Oh, it's been it's been discussed elsewhere at Where to Turn Pod on Twitter, but that'll be out on Friday. But um, we'll talk about it now as well. Uh, I, I had an appointment I was coming back from and I started getting mentions pop up on my phone, something just about the renegades. And I was like, I, I knew there was an auction that day, 
uh, but I didn't know any of the details. So I pull up in front of my house and pull up Twitter and just search XFL. And the first thing I see is a headline. It was from Bleacher Report that said that Dwayne Johnson and his business partner, whatever that investment group is, Mm -hmm. had bought the league. I had to check to make sure it wasn't one of those fake addresses that's almost instead of like the sporting news yeah. they just put an extra like vowel in it adam shifter exactly because i was i'm gonna retweet this i was like okay i don't want to be that guy who falls <laughs> for it because the scenario of the rock buying the xfl is like what i would have come up with as like the most cartoon conclusion that'll never happen and after i realized it was real yes the the feeling this it's like a just a tingle of positive emotion and joy throughout. This is the best case scenario in my eyes. The like roller coaster ride of the existence of the XFL and the storyline of like, you know, wrestling exists. Vince McMahon becomes a thing. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, all of these things exist. And then football is football and XFL says, Hey, you know what? We're going to do that and kick it up a notch and just be so wheels off. And then the story of that was in and of itself, you know, introduced Lauren Michaels and everything that was in that documentary. That's enough. Then to say, okay, fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years, we elect essentially, you know, a TV show host as president. And uh, due to his relationship with said, (laughs) owner of the wrestling league uh, and uh, other social uh, justice issues coming up and players kneeling, Vince McMahon decides, you know what? It's time for me to come back. I've got the support. I've got the money. I've got the time brings it back. And the only thing that can defeat it aside from one Jay Cranfield's kids sitting in the front row of a press conference in front of big game, Bob is a global pandemic. <laughs> And the only thing that can bring it back (laughs) is the rock is the rock. And he did it in San Andreas and now he's doing it (laughs) for the love of football. And don't, I I did not, uh, because I was just so on a high of, of the rock. Uh, I I did not overlook your, your comment that, uh, the rock and his business partner, Garcia, there's, uh, some similarities there. Yes. The, she has very strong features is all I was yes. trying to, is all I was trying to say. What I didn't know at the time is that it was his ex-wife, um, which as Mick, Mick Foley pointed out, AKA mankind and dude love yeah. and cactus Jack. That's, that's an impressive feat to not only, you know, harbor that relationship to just be good parents to your kids, but to like have a professional relationship beyond that. That's like sustainable. Uh, I think that's that's quite uh, impressive. I mean, um, I would also say the other note of all of this is if there's not a meme or a graphic sent out from the XFL um, that's taglined with "We will rebuild," okay. we're, we're missing a, we're missing a layup there. Yeah, um, they're they're uh, apparently talking about or considering playing next spring and doing kind of the bubble thing because they're so few teams that maybe they can pull that off. I think they just need to ride just the brand of the rock until 2022 mm-hmm. and let all this stuff pass and then just resume business as usual then. 
I think they're rushing it if they're looking at six months trying to kick something off. Well, I agree. The bubble's the way to go, not only because it'll save them money and make it more sustainable and, you know, for pandemic reasons, but also it keeps everything in-house and in one spot. Now, you do lose out on, like, the local fandom propping up the interest levels, but it's not like the fans in Birmingham were keeping things alive anyway, although that was AAFL, not Yeah, it was the AAF, but... I, th- I think a key factor here is given the fluidity of both the ex- or of the NCAA and of the NFL, there's going to be a void created for players who do not think that playing nine plus one games or ten games of college football is going to be worth it to uh, further delay their pro dreams, and ones who are going to want that opportunity to still play and get their skills displayed to have the opportunity to jump to the league. And then there's going to be this amount of players who just need to be ready for the NFL, depending on when either are played. And I think the XFL could fill that void. Like there is a need for a minor league G league pool of players to be available, to be healthy, but also to display like that they're still playing because training camps are getting cut short. Rosters are going to be cut short. There's going to be a lot of players who don't get opportunities and this could step in if they do you know, do it quicker than 2022. That's our sports minute. There you go. Other than that, I will delay any other uh, requests for um, any walk back or uh, questioning of my own reaction of uh, the news to Gary Peters, Gary Patterson uh, admitting that he has said the N word at least twice in the recent uh, week or so. uh, And, and, in direction of another uh, of one of his players, the context, yeah, maybe it's important here, but uh, I refuse to uh, uh, put out any public statements of my opinions. Now, having read the entire story as for now, I will defer all uh, attention to the size and dimensions of the Gary Patterson statue that exists on the TCU campus. Go ask that for feedback first, and then, you know, we can chat. I think it's um, fair. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, to get formalities out of the way, I think we do a poor job of uh, establishing. You can be found on Twitter at, at Jay Cranfill uh, and at, yeah. at Where to Turn Pod. Um, that is another thing that in that audio of the episode with Gustav, I'm pretty sure I kept calling, Can You Hear Me? Tell Me Where to Turn multiple <laughs> times. Multiple Again, times. It's, it's just the puzzle that the listener will have to put together eventually. Yeah, so uh, that is where you can find other Jay Cranfield work. Um, you may or may not have seen. Uh, I, too, have been doing other things. Uh, including, oh, really? Including talking more sports. Uh, and that is available out in the podcast uh, universe at Too Much Dip. It is a venture with uh, another pod- podcast network called Washed Media. Uh, they do great work, um, and they do it like as a full time gig, uh, which means like I have to like schedule time to be places, which has made this experience uh, very comfortable. Uh, that we said, hey, we've got an hour, let's get it in and get it out. So that is uh, that is that. I think that's too much dip with two P's on Twitter, or just too much dip wherever you find podcasts. So let's get to this movie. Okay. Um, we have gathered here today not only to uh, rekindle the flame of partial recall, but also to uh, really pick back up where we probably could have or should have would have left off with 
another movie review, but one I feel like uh, warrants revisiting. Um, Beavis and Butthead to America. I will stay off the top. I was very grateful whenever uh, I hit pause in the middle of this movie last night and saw that I had um, an hour and 20 on the uh, runtime, but 30 minutes elapsed. And I was like, so that means an hour 50 minute movie or I've only got, uh, you know, a little over 45 minutes left to go. And the latter was correct. And I think that Mike Judge did himself a great service by getting in, getting out, doing exactly what needed to be done and putting together one hell of a movie. Yeah, I think this was uh, essentially just an extended MTV episode of Beavis and Butthead is, is what they made the, the movie into. There's not a whole lot of plot development overall. Um, it's very, we went here, we went in a straight line this way, then we traveled <laughs> a straight line this way. It's very Mad Max Fury Road from that perspective, but it gets the, the points across. We hit all the big, what, what the characters need to say and do along the way, uh, their taglines, if you will, and, and it works. I hadn't seen it since probably 1997. I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed it now. I probably don't have really a reason to ever watch it again, but I still liked it. I will say I'm a little surprised that it was the only one that was made. Um, looking at just the box office numbers, it was a budget of $12 million, did $63 million in the box office, and I'm sure quite a bit more um, just from TV rights or you know, whatever that turns into money-wise. It was very well received uh, at the time. I think what's interesting is looking back at Beavis and Butthead, the show, which I won't go into too far, is the show itself ran from 1993 to November of 97. This movie was released in December of 96. So you would think that this is something that would like continue and or propel the longevity or the popularity of the series. And if anything, it kind of was as the steam was running out for the series, this was kind of an ender. Um and a send off. Yeah. And I think it also led directly into, which I'll, I'll look to verify uh, and, and something I'm sure we'll touch on here soon, but it led into, and, and that's actually accurate. The first debut episode of King of the Hill was January 12th of 97. So okay. Mike judge used this as a jump off introduced or not really introduced because the um, Tom Hobson, uh, whatever his last name was, uh, the Anderson, King, Tom Anderson, uh, who later became King uh, Hank Hill. Uh, that character had been around, but that transition was made pretty seamlessly by Mike Judge. So shouts to him for that. Yeah, the Beavis and Butthead series on MTV. I mean, it it burned bright, but it was it was fast as well. I think they even took time off from making the sh- the show there was a gap there as to when there were frequent episodes on Mm -hmm. MTV because they were making this movie. So it really only had like three, a three year run on MTV. Yeah. It looks like in 95, it goes from 94. They had 50 episodes, which is just insane to think about, uh, dropped down to 20 in 95 and then back up to 41 in 97, the final year. And then they did a revival season of 22 episodes in 2011, but that only lasted like three or four months. Um, did you watch much of the MTV show itself? Uh, yeah, I've, I definitely 
because at that time, 93, I mean, I'm, it, it ran from when I was like 15 to you know, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Like that was absolute wheelhouse. I guarantee you I saw every episode of what aired during that first run. The, the 2011 run, I remember watching maybe three or four of those and they were, they were, it was fine, but I just didn't, it wasn't anything I needed at that point. But mm-hmm. as a teenager, yeah, I definitely watched it. And, you know, my parents would walk through the room and be like, this is the dumbest thing that's ever been on television. But I, especially the first couple of years, I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, who would have thought that uh, a TV show based on uh, two uh, kids from a suburb in Texas that were obsessed with metal music would have been <laughs> in your wheelhouse at that time? But uh... Well, and it, uh, you know, it, the, it reaches out to very lowest common denominator kind of uh humor and you know as a teen you know that's fine obviously i'm above that now even even though like in a meeting if somebody just says the word like box or something like that i kind of have to (laughs) dart my eyes away jot down a, a note for a fake memo later or something like that so i i i still i still appreciate the the low level of humor even today I recall watching it, but not getting a lot of it because the TV show itself intertwined a lot of music videos uh, into it with music that really wasn't in my, you know, genre uh, or preference at at 10 and 11, you know, by the time it's going off the air uh, full time. Um, I got into rock music and some heavier stuff like later into like my early teens and mid teens. But at that time when they're like talking about guar, I'm like, what the hell? Uh, I did actually play the video game. And then the existence of like these like alt, like uh, dark comedy cartoons was big. Cause you had, you know, uh, itchy and scratchy being a parody on the Simpsons. You've got Beavis and Butthead in existence, but then you also have Ren and Stimpy. Um, that was just flat out on, you know, Nickelodeon and then later Cartoon Network. And so an Animaniacs by Steven Spielberg was, was getting bigger around that time too. So this genre prior to South Park and Family Guys later on that existed of like, we're going to cuss and be cartoons was picking up at that point. And I think they have a lot to pay back to Beavis and Butthead. Um, so pivoting a little bit here to the movie. Um, you said you hadn't seen it since 97 or so. Did you remember the general plot or like what the hell was supposed to be happening in the movie? No, uh, none of the specifics. I, the only thing I could recall was that they traveled by bus somewhere. And I remember they traveled cross country for whatever reason. But as we, you know, we get into it and the, the, the guest voices of Bruce Willis and Demi Moore, them being involved. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't remember any of that stuff whatsoever. I had no idea they were involved until last night. Um, I had uh, this, I thought it was available on Hulu. That was a lie. It's really on Cinemax. Um, but I found it on Amazon Prime for like three bucks or four bucks. Um, yeah. And Amazon, when you rent a video there, this is a dumb aside, but they do a great job of being able to like, pull up the details of who's in the scene and who's playing the voices and or like the characters or actors info. Uh, if you like toggle the menu, depending on what you're watching it on, um, because they own IMDB 
And I just happened to pause the movie and see that Demi Moore was playing the voice of Dallas. Um, and I was like, what? I mean, I knew Robert Stack was in it, but I had no reason to identify Demi Moore's voice and Bruce Willis as you think you would identify, but the, no. uh, the gruff and the drunkenness that the character he plays has on it. You're like, uh, okay, I guess it is him. Um, which I don't know the years of their marriage, but I wonder how close this was to like the beginning of their um, dating experience. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. I don't know how that lines up and I don't know how old that Ashton Kutcher would have been. <laughs> They'd have been about the same age as me. Cause I think, I think he was born like the year after me, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fairly, uh, he's pretty old. I mean, he's young relative to like Demi Moore and, and Bruce Willis is what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, who she is now 57. Uh, oh, wow. They were married. And if anything, this might've been a part of the end. They're married and divorced, married in 87, divorced in 2000. So, um, okay. I had no idea. Well, 13 years is a good run. Um, that is, uh, <laughs> that's five yeah. years longer than, uh, her marriage with Ashton. So good on her. Yeah. I'll say it's a good run. If you're playing small forward for somebody, <laughs> I don't know. It's a good run <laughs> marriage wise. <laughs> Fair, very fair. Uh, so to get into the movie, I mean, we can just summarize the plot here in a nutshell. Essentially, I forgot that the I forgot what started the catalyst of it all. Beavis and Butthead are sitting there watching TV in their house, and I guess they doze off. I, yeah, I, I kind of looked away right in that that critical moment, and their TV gets stolen. Yeah, it starts out with this ridiculous dream sequence where oh, yeah. Butthead's having a dream where they're both giants just walking through the city and the military is attacking them. and Very Godzilla Mothra-esque. Exactly. And they're just walking through and, of course, commenting just how cool it is as a helicopter <laughs> walks up or flies up and just unleashes 10 missiles into their head that just bounces off. It's just a ridiculous sequence to start it out. And when they wake up, they notice that their TV is gone. Yeah. And it, it's funny the, the parallels that they put between the people who steal their TV and then who they run into later on in the desert. But two guys who look very much like Beavis and Butthead steal their TV. They set out to go find it or find a TV because Beavis is oddly obsessed with TV and needs to see what's going on. This is definitely in the height of like, Hey, your kids will get addicted to television limit. How many minutes they're watching of TV a day. So they're playing hard against that, um, uh, kind of parental advisory approach to the world. Um, eventually they stumble to their neighbor's house, which is now Hank Hill, but I'm going to butcher the name every time. Tim Anderson, Tom Anderson, Tom Anderson, Tom Anderson, yeah. Uh, they screw up his TV in his camper. So we get to meet Hank and Hank is talking about butane and uh, I'm just going to call him Hank. Uh, Tom's talking about butane and everything. And the character's fully fleshed out there. They go to the school where we meet the superintendent who I remember him vividly because it just, he always looked uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, like he's shaking. Like he's got a, uh, like he's high got blood a pressure. We'll exactly. Yeah. Uh, they meet him and then the hippie teacher who I remember from there. And then a very similar character in Mike judges other series, Daria. Um, but then eventually I, I love the hippie teacher character, yes. by the way, like just everything. It just meets all the, all the stereotypes. You didn't just got the peace t-shirt on. It's mm-hmm. perfect. 
Yeah, and, and the fact that, like, it never really um, resonated with me that Beavis and Butthead was based in Texas as a kid until the existence of King of the Hill. And then tying those two together and realizing, oh, this was all Texas-related. And then later on in life, realizing Mike Judge made all of it, and Mike Judge was from Richardson, um, which is correct, right? Richardson, not Richland. No, it's. I would know if it was Richland. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, I, I think it's Richardson. I think you're right. One of your two uh, um, places of, Stomp, of, of yeah. homestead. Stomping grounds. Exactly. And I just, just burned all the bridges there and never go back. <laughs> Uh, the uh, very ironic uh, prefix of rich in both of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Mike Judge being from the North Dallas area was a note that I was not aware of until later and then tied all these things together. And so you've got this hippie teacher, you know, in what was always kind of characterized or caricaturized as a hippie or a redneck town or like a rundown town. Uh, The school being Highland High School, uh, I thought was nice. Um, you know, not saying it was supposed to be Highland Park or any of the sort, but later on when you get like Arlen uh, as a town, I, I imagine it's all supposed to be a melting pot of some sort to the Dallas area, which was nice. Right. Um, but we get to the good stuff when we finally meet uh, Muddy Grimes, who is hammered, and this is who uh, Bruce Willis plays. He thinks that Beavis and Butthead are the two guys that – um, are sent to him by a hitman, a hitman to kill his wife. And that whole thing is very convoluted. You've got these like redneck couple of Bruce Willis and Demi Moore's characters who somehow have their hands on like an internationally sought after like global bio weapon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was very confusing. Um, but that's, that is, that is their mission to, to track her down, eliminate her, and then I would assume, I can't remember if they mentioned it specifically, to obtain the weapon from her or not. But Yes, um, I will play the, the quick clip of the explanation of the plot, because then we can kind of zoom through the rest. All right. Oh, well, as long as you can get the job done. What are your names? Oh, here we go. Let me back it up a little bit for you. It's going uh, very smoothly. We're missing everything. Yeah, hold on a minute. That must be them now. Yeah, I'll call you back. Come in. You're late. Really? Did we miss Baywatch? Man, Earl said you guys were young, but jeez. Oh, well, as long as you can get the job done. What are your names? Uh, Butthead. (laughs) Oh, I mean Beavis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all right. I'd rather not know your real names anyway. Mine's Muddy. Now, look, I'm going to get right to the point. I'll pay you ten grand plus expenses, all payable after you do her. Uh, do her? Uh, (laughs) That's right, do her. I'm offering you ten thousand dollars plus expenses to do my wife. We got a deal? Actually, we just want to watch TV. Shut up, Beavis. Uh, yeah, we'll do your wife. No, I want to watch TV. So there in a nutshell, you get the whole story. (laughs) Uh, For sure. And that's the the mission. And then the other thing I noted out of that was uh, 
he lays it out for him. He shows him a picture, I think, but it's just a headshot. Mm-hmm. And then like at the end, he's gone through all this and he's like, okay, well, do you have any questions about Dallas, his wife, that they're supposed to go take out? And the only question that Butthead has is, does she have big hooters? <laughs> he goes, yeah, she does. And that's, <laughs> that's all they needed to know. Uh, so they put him, they put uh, Beavis and Butthead on a plane to Vegas, which then they meet this sweet old lady who, uh, I, I won't pull that clip up, who uh, she tells him about her excitement to go play the slots. Of course, all they hear is sluts, uh, which I remember as a kid thinking that was the greatest thing ever, just to go around <coughs> talking about hanging out with some slots uh, and thinking I was getting away with a murder. Um, we also get the... Uh, Probably one of the more memorable lines and or kind of byproducts to come out of this is Beavis then eats meds from her. She gives him meds to calm down and it sends him into um, his uh, alter ego, if you will. Yeah. Uh, called Cornholio uh, and, and pulls his hat, her shirt up on his head and runs around and calls himself Cornholio, which I reenacted countless times as a kid. Uh, and, and the whole concept of give me TP for my bunghole was uh, <laughs> all you needed to have me laying on the ground, doubled over laughing. It's so dumb. It's, it's and, ridiculous. <laughs> and it's uh, because he's basically in that state, the, the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one part that I would say it's a ridiculous movie and premise and all that anyway. But, even saying that, that's the one part that was probably a little overdone here. But I feel like they were also like, uh, we got to get this thing at least to that hour and 21 minutes. <laughs> so we're going to have to do something to just stretch out. We need 15 more minutes. What can we have him do? Just everywhere he goes, he's Cornholio. And we'll just 30 seconds here, a minute here, just add to, we'll just show him. Doesn't really add anything to the plot, but. We just need this. Just trust me. See, I feel like that was all they had. And then they were like, let's stretch. And then later on they add, when they get to Vegas, they go see Red Hot Chili Peppers playing, you know, roller coaster, uh, like in its entirety um, (laughs) uh, in the middle of a casino. And I'm like, okay, this seems out of place. But like their TV show, you know, they do music video shit. Um, Yeah. And that was, that was, I mean, the Chili Peppers did the cover of that song. And it was, it was the, I didn't own the soundtrack, but as I recall, it was the first track on it mm-hmm. and it was released for radio airplay and everything. So that was probably part of the deal for sure. Hey, may, maybe do this song specifically for the movie, but we'll put the whole thing in there. Yeah. We're not doing like the 10 or 20 seconds and go to something else. You're getting like your full two and a half, three minutes. Yeah. They did. They had that. And I think white zombie had a song later on when they were in the desert, but um, basically they get to Vegas, they meet Muddy's wife, whose name is Dallas, uh, busty blonde, of course. Uh, she figures out that Muddy sent them. She says that she'll pay them twice as much, um, to go back and do Muddy. Uh, and they're like, you want us to do a guy? <laughs> and like two smart kids are like, well, you know, the price is right. And she's like, if you guys take, basically go to Washington, I will meet you there. Uh, and then I'll do you both. And then we'll kill Muddy basically. Um, so this is when we kind of find out the other part of the story she has, she's in possession of this bioweapon called X five or some shit. She stitches it into Beavis's pants and off they go. 
They go up to the one plot hole that I hated was that they go to the Hoover Dam, which is just outside of Vegas. They go to the Grand Canyon, which is you know, right on I-10 or whatever, heading east. Uh, or actually, it's north of there, but still northern Arizona. Then they go to Old Faithful in Yellowstone <laughs> Park, which is in northwestern Wyoming. <laughs> that well, is quite a detour. Some people don't have maps. And then they went to the Petrified Forest, which I thought that was in Northern California. I don't know yeah. for a fact where that is. Maybe uh, there's more than that. Well, I'll just Google. It's it's a it's a real petrified wood. Um, yeah, hold on. On the fly, we'll just learn this. It's in Arizona, so they go back to Arizona okay. after that. Uh, so, okay, and maybe maybe I got that backwards, but either way, they hit Wyoming after Arizona, uh, and then eventually. Um, the whole way along, we meet Robert Stack, who's the ATF head, Agent Fleming, um, who Robert Stack's voice would trigger me to nightmares as a kid, for sure. Unsolved um, Mysteries. Because he's the Unsolved Mysteries guy, who I thought he was being a narc of the criminals that were going on. He was showing up to divulge this information. I never watched Unsolved Mysteries as a kid and thought he was like a police officer set out to find them. Uh, kind of like the John Walsh of America's most wanted. I thought he was more like the crypt keeper and like, I'm <laughs> of these uh, ghouls and bad people. I'm just kind of letting you in on how bad they are. So he's always scared the shit out of me. I think he might be my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> it's just constant demand that everyone be cavity searched real deep or whatever it was. He's like, I mean, like you could feel the back of the throat or something like that. <laughs> and, and it would change up the definite or the description each time. Um, and I thought that was great. Even including the very smart line of the $9 an hour, like national park employees. Like, why didn't you stop these two kids? He's like, these are the most dangerous people in the country. According to your uh, memo. Why? Uh, I make nine bucks an hour. And he's like, that's not good enough. Cavity search. um they meet up with some nuns blah 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 eventually they wander off into the desert and this was a part of the movie i remembered a lot for some reason and i think it was because i thought it was like monumental that they run into their parent their dads like they're just drifters just out in the middle of nowhere former roadies for motley crew that's what it was yeah yeah, former Motley Crue roaders, ro- roadies that were just hanging out in the desert eating beans, as, you know, drifters will. Uh, and they tell the story of when they stopped in this toilet named Arlen and uh, scored with two chicks. And uh, I thought that part was funny because Butthead's dad kept saying that he scored with both of them. But clearly, Beavis's <laughs> dad uh, was responsible for the uh, Beavis-looking sperm that we see in a cutscene later on. Right, and they look, yes, they look exactly like each other. Just the older versions have receding hairlines and some wrinkles, and that's it. So eventually, um, Muddy finds them in the desert, and this was the part of me. I was like, "How the fuck did they get from the desert to Washington?" Muddy uh, finds them, throws them in a trunk, and drives them all the way to Washington because he realizes that's where Dallas is going to be. He can find her double cross her, kill her, blah, 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 blah. They get there and the boys had jumped out of the truck onto the interstate causing a huge wreck. Uh, and this is kind of when like the, 
I don't know what you, how you would describe the, like they're in one spot calamities going on, like behind them very chaotically, but they're like casually missing it all by a second. Cause the rest of the movie basically is that. Yeah. And they're just, just dumb to the fact or indifferent to the fact of what is going on or what the consequences are Mm -hmm. for their actions. Like they, they managed to get the trunk open that they're riding in and butthead's like, ah, just jump out. Like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And then he just, he just gives him the nice firm one arm shove and just watches him bounce all the way around and cars crashing and blowing up. And he's like, cool. That's it. (laughs) There is a, um, another thread going on this whole time. We mentioned that the neighbor, Tom Anderson, uh, Hank Hill made an appearance early in the movie throughout all of this. A part of his plot was that he was looking to go on a cross country trip with his wife and their trailer. And it was like their lifelong dream to do so. And of course their trip was from Texas to Washington, DC. And at one roadblock, the ATF agent meets Tom Anderson, and later on it becomes critical because Beavis and Butthead have been known to beat off in his tool shed, or as they put it, whacking off in the tool shed. <laughs> uh, and so when we get to Washington and both the, tool, the uh, trailer is there, Beavis and Butthead are there, and the ATF agents are there, it, uh, it adds up pretty well. I'm trying to find the uh, don't end a sentence with the preposition conversation. Because oh, yeah, that was great. even from memory, I cannot like get that line correct because he makes them say it so ridiculously. Right. And, uh, the, uh, and then Robert Stack's character doesn't listen to anybody. Like, again, it's for comedic effect, but I almost feel like it's also, this is how we get another five minutes in the movie. It's <laughs> one of the agents repeatedly keeps pointing at the trailer. Like, isn't that the one we saw earlier? And this all connects in some way. And, he just keeps being like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not listening to this. We're, <laughs> we're going this way with it. We're going after these guys and just demanding more and more, sending the same woman, the same poor woman, unless she gets a thrill out of it, has examined so many cavities during the course of this film. Which, as a kid, I wasn't entirely positive that that meant anal cavity. I, I'm know, pretty sure it does. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive now, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm sure my dad just meant it meant dental exam. People hate going to the dentist. Yeah, That's just what's checking going teeth on. here. Exactly. Uh, but from the backside, apparently. Um, so I can't find that clip on the fly, so uh, let me just make sure this doesn't start playing. Um, they get to Washington. Uh, did you remember the cameo? Not the Bill Clinton one at the end, but the uh, other cameo? Chelsea Clinton? Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, not once it happened, once he, uh, butthead is walking through the white house and he opens up the door, then it triggered. I was like, yeah, I've seen this before, but I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to, uh, happen. He's promptly thrown from the window, (laughs) but I didn't know how far they were going to go with that. If they were going to actually interact or not. I have the, uh, audio not to be, uh, so haphazard here, but I think it's worth playing. Criminal masterminds. Chief, you know that guy whose camper they were whacking off in? Mork, you are a federal agent. You represent the United States government. Never end a sentence with a preposition. Oh, uh, you know that guy in whose camper they... I, I mean, 
that guy off in whose camper they were whacking. That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he hits him with that later on, and it, I, like trying to like do the mental gymnastics to get that sentence done is 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 comical. Um, but later in Washington, of course. Beav- or Butthead gets thrown out of the window. Beavis is the one with the weapon tied to his pants or stitched into his pants. And, of course, he casually walks out of the White House because it's being uh, evacuated due to their presence there. ATF's there. Tom Anderson's there. Um, you have braces. I have braces happens with Chelsea Clinton. But then Beavis wanders into uh, Tom Anderson's trailer. He's like, oh, I know that place. And... Uh, Commences said whacking. Uh, and I just love the fact that the ATF eventually is like, hey, isn't that the guy? Like, I will uh, cue up the uh, grand finale here. Pull your damn pants up, boy! I don't want to see that! Damn it! Get out of here! And if I ever catch you whacking in here again, I'm going to hog tie you. Ah, uh, damn it. Now I got to straighten up in here. We just cleared all four floors. No sign of him. Damn, where the hell is he? Say, Chief, isn't that the camper? Bork, not now. Chief, look. <laughs> well, that'll be a monkey's bare-assed uncle. Attention all units. So, there's a standoff, you know... Tom Anderson gets arrested. Beavis and Butthead get awarded uh, the uh, to be honorary agents of the ATF when they meet the fake, real Bill Clinton, um, and they laugh off the fact that they're now members of the uh, alcohol, cigarettes, oh, yeah. and fireworks or explosives uh, uh, agency, basically. Yeah, um, the reaction to uh, being honorary agents for the ATF is that beer and cigarettes are cool. <laughs> and there's also, uh, during the course of this, that last like five minutes or so, at some point in time, I believe Robert Stack's character mentions that they're going to burn this whole place down or burn everything down. And I, I didn't know if that was a, a subtle ATF shot this being just a few years after oh the, the Waco disaster, but I, I didn't catch that. But of course you being uh, said expert on that event, uh, you know, that is uh, quite interesting because you have to think that it was an intentional decision to make them the ATF. Yeah. They could have just as easy been the FBI. Like that's what 99% of movies would go with in this situation. Yeah, it is yeah. a, a bioweapon, <laughs> but like, Nobody would have faulted them at all being the FBI. Yeah, the organization's not really material to the story. Yeah, except for the fact that it would have been material to uh, you know, some events in, what, 95? Uh, 93. 93. 93. Okay, yeah. I, I really attribute everything to 95. I feel like that's when all the bad shit happened. Um, that's just Oklahoma City that's was true. Uh, 95. That is true. April um, 19th. All in all, I felt like the movie holds up mostly because it didn't try to do too much. They brought good actors. Um, there were a lot of dumb parts. There were some giggles. Uh, but I am very proud not only to be a father, but a father who's shown his kid both South Park and Beavis and Butthead before any other cartoons. That's, uh, that is father of the year material right there. 
You think I wasn't learning from you all this time? Well, <laughs> I, you're paying attention. But my my boys will see this movie, but probably not for, uh, I'm going to say, at least eight more years. And then we'll when they run across something that they're watching and somebody says, man, that's really dumb, I'll be there to step in and say, Check how dumb this was that I used to watch, and we'll we'll venture through the movie and or the series. Looking back, though, there's no even cartoon nudity. There's a couple clips of Dallas like unbuttoning her shirt to show more cleavage. There is the statue of like a ship, like front of a ship that's like exposed boobs, but it's you know a statue. But however you want to look at that. Um, other than that, there's some alcohol consumption, not really much drug use. And I don't think anyone Well, I mean, they bite a, uh, mushroom cactus in the desert, but like, I don't think anyone actually got hit with a bullet. There were some guns drawn, but yeah, this movie made it feel like you're watching like hard R content and not really that much hard R content was going on aside from like a lot of suggestive themes throughout. Yeah, it was just suggested, and then, uh, I mean, the thing, and the concern going back to the 90s about this show and the characters was, you mentioned the whole uh, watching too much TV is a theme, and just the fact that they were just rude and irreverent, and I think their characters are a progression of what Bart Simpson was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, four or five years before Beavis and Butthead came along, because I can recall, I grew up with kids that were not allowed to watch the Simpsons and it was because the characters were obnoxious and rude. And that was our, that was our biggest concern at the time. <laughs> it wasn't really, it wasn't like a drug use thing. It wasn't as much of a language thing. It was just their self-proclaimed underachievers that are rude to people. And that, that was basically it. Think of how harmless that sounds these days. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. They did try and make an attempt per their wiki at a uh, sequel. Uh, Mike judge chose to make the very average movie extract featuring Jason Bateman and Mila Kunis. Um, other note, which I think was pretty impressive. One Roger Ebert of the Chicago sun times praised the film as a vulgar satire on American youth and compared it favorably to Wayne's world. Uh, his reviewing partner, Gene Siskel, Gave a moderate recommendation. Ultimately, they gave it two thumbs up. What is uh, equally surprising, uh, as far as their awards and nominations, it did win a BMI um, uh, award because both characters are quite skinny. I think that's what that's talking about. Um, (laughs) However, they were nominated as Best On-Screen Duo in the 1997 MTV Movie Awards and did not win. (laughs) Okay, well, they got the nomination. It's MTV's product. Like, it's their only duo to put out there. So I guess maybe they didn't want to play favorites. I don't want to see who who did win. But uh, quick glance at the soundtrack as well. Soundtrack as well. Uh, Isaac Hayes, Red Hot Chili Peppers, LL, Cool J, uh, White Zombie, Rancid, Ozzy, No Doubt, uh, Butthole Surfers, ACDC, Engelbert Humperdinck, uh, yeah, and Mad that's Head. a name. Yeah, I know. I, I had to struggle through that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, it holds up. I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, one other fun fact that I had noted when they were considering making a movie, 
based on these characters, the first consideration was to make a a live action movie that David Spade and Adam Sandler would star in as Beavis and Butthead. That would be so bad. That would be god awful. <laughs> I'm sure that it was probably just an idea spun in a meeting for five seconds. And somebody was like, "No, nah, that's not going to work." But it ends up it ends up in the wiki as noted as something that was considered. One thing uh, I wasn't as familiar with, I think I rem- looking at pictures of it, I, I remember it a little bit, but not well. Liquid television. Oh, you vaguely. That? So essentially it was like, I don't know how you want to describe it, but kind of a compilation show uh, where they would put out these kind of adult cartoons on MTV from 91 to 95. And that's where... Uh, cartoons like Beavis and Butthead and Aeon Flux got their start. Aeon Flux yeah. was always a uh, a real sea tease, if you will, because uh, I'd watch it and <laughs> like, oh man, look at all these hot images, and then like, all right, well, this is kind of violent and way too deep for my brain right now. So um, I, I mistakenly said Daria was a Mike Judge thing. It was not. Um, it was Glenn Eckler and Susie Lewis, but characters were spun off into and from Daria from Beavis and Butthead. Oh, definitely. And that was, that was another good character from the show. I mean, it was kind of the same bit over and over when they interacted, but it still worked. Yep. 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 Well, I think uh, you can go ahead and say mission accomplished, hang the banner, plant the flag, um, go over and rub the belly of the uh, Gary Patterson statue. Um, because that is what you would call a full partial recall episode on a schedule. <laughs> Uh, this, this, we're back. That's all I can say. I love it. Excellent. I appreciate uh, you cutting out some time for it. Appreciate anyone who's listened to this point. Again, find us at Partial Recall Pod on Twitter at Jay Cranfield, at KJ Ellis with ones as the L's, at Where to Turn Pod. You're not going to do all these things. I don't care. I'm just going to say them anyway. Um, yeah, don't ask about older episodes or uh, more regular episodes. We'll do the shit when we want. But uh, that's all I got. Me too. All right, we'll see you.